You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. This to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we are, the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia, north to south, east to west, up and down, around, by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. It is broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. I'm hosting today's program, 45 years, that's right, 45 years, but that's a different story we won't talk about today. Now, if you're a, if you're a raving lunatic or a radical, it, I don't want you to listen to the anarchist world this week, because anarchism, contrary to the garbage you hear, is a very relatively conservative concept. It's a very simple concept, it's about creating a society without rulers. What gives rulers power? The ability to determine the lives of billions of people, inequalities in power and wealth. So the anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power, that's share power, it's the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. To me, a radical is the type of society we find ourselves in today, where you've got people who can make decisions to send hundreds of thousands to their death in war, where you've got people who can make decisions to press a button and destroy a city, where you have unbelievable poverty and desperation among unbelievable riches. That is radical. The fact that we have allowed humanity to progress, in inverted commas, to this stage. Because, let's not forget, the difference between us and the animals, what has allowed us to dominate the planet and destroy the planet at the same time, is our ability to cooperate. It's not about competition. It's competition which is destroying the planet. But we came from the savannah and as groups, we survive and prospered because we cooperated with each other. So anarchism, in many ways, is going back to the traditional roots of humanity, where people cooperated to survive. And as we see the four horsemen of the apocalypse galloping towards us, that's increasing greenhouse emissions, Increasing population growth, 
limited resources or and an economic system that dominates the planet based on the creation of profits irrespective of the human, social and environmental costs, we will need to look back at concepts which allowed us as a, as a species to flourish, and that is cooperation, decision-making power shared, so that the interests of everybody not just the interests of, of a few, the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication and their parliamentary pup, puppets always win. Now, I know a lot of people have been celebrating because Labor, the Labor Party, the Alternative Liberal Party, now rules every state except Tasmania in the land of Oz and because the Alternative Liberal Party is now the federal government. But we continue to face most of the same problems and the housing crisis is an indication of how Parliament is actually not able to solve any major issues. And we see it over and over and over again. Now, those of you who say, oh, Joe, you stand for Parliament, well, I'm happy to stand for Parliament, to raise ideas. Because unfortunately in this society, raising ideas which go against the grain, and the grain is private investment for private profit, never get any traction in this society. And by standing in an election, you may get some traction and change a few people's viewpoints. Now, the great thing about living in 2023 when the ALP is the government of the state level at every, at every mainland state in this country and the Australian Capital Territory and the ALP is in federal government is that we have now become the legitimate opposition. That's right. Not physically, but intellectually. We are the opposition. It's our ideas which hold a key to dealing with the climate emergency. It's our ideas which hold the key to dealing with poverty and financial ruin. It's our ideas which hold the key, and I know it sounds very dramatically, to the survival of us as a species on this planet. Ideas based on cooperation, mutual aid, solidarity. Not ideas based on competition for competition's sake, growth for growth's sake. Ideas which currently permeate every single waking moment of most people in this country and around the world. Private investment for private profit has brought us to this situation. And when I talk about private investment for private profit, I'm also including state-run enterprises, which to a significant degree are there to reinforce the status quo. So let's move on. Just remember that. You are the opposition. We are the opposition. We are the intellectual opposition. I'll give you an example. Now, before Wednesday's program, I... Uh, 
Unfortunately, I look at the ABC News in the morning just to see if anything's happened around the planet. Not that I get much information, but it's there. Now, I was shocked. S-H-O-C-K-E-D. Well, maybe I'm pretending I was shocked. I don't get shocked that easily these days. But I was shocked to see that the main piece of news, the main discussion point, both in the government-owned ABC and the privately-owned media, was the sideshow that's going on in the USA. Here in the anarchist world this week, we're not interested in sideshows. I don't particularly care what happens to the former US president. That's their problem. But I do care about what's happening behind the scenes. I do care about the main game. And I think it's important that we begin to discuss the main game and not game and not be sidetracked by sideshows. And the main game is very simple. We have a planet which is full of nuclear weapons. Nuclear weapons which make the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombing in 1945 look like a children's picnic. Nuclear weapons that can wipe out hundreds of millions of people and make the planet uninhabitable for thousands of years. And at the same time, we have this new Cold War rhetoric. And if you look at United States foreign policy, it has been, it revolves around two things. One, containing Russia, and two, humiliating China. We see this in the Ukraine. We've seen this with the, uh, the expansion of NATO, now to incorporate Finland and soon to incorporate Sweden. We see it with the continuing bloodshed in the Ukraine. And while that's occurring, at the same time, in the last uh, 24 hours, we'll see a senior US official go into Taiwan to raise the temperature in Taiwan. Raise the stakes in this global battle for supremacy. And we, the little people, were expected to sit on the sidelines and cheer and clap for our side. That's right, cheer and clap. Let's not forget that the last few years we've seen the incorporation of the Australian military in terms, the Australian Armed Forces in terms of equipment now fully integrated into the US war machine. And that there is a showdown in Taiwan, which the United States would like to see, not giving a damn about the Taiwanese people, I can assure you that we will be dragged into that conflict. 
That's what all these alliances are all about. So let's keep our eye on the main game. And the main game is to ensure that this planet is not engulfed in some type of worldwide nuclear madness where you will be asked to sacrifice your lives and your children's lives and your grandchildren's lives and your friends' lives and your workmates' lives for the glory of country. Extraordinary scenes, as if we have learnt nothing since we started to create little villages 10,000 years ago. It's just an extraordinary state of affairs that we have this situation occurring and most people being unaware of what we as a nation are being dragged into. Interesting to note, not everybody in the world has fallen for this little you know, this little play. I've noticed the Indian government has kept to the side. That the South American governments, to a large degree, have kept out of the conflict. But the trouble is that when a conflict like this starts, it incorporates everybody very, very, very quickly. It doesn't matter how many fail-safe mechanisms you have, once an order is given by somebody in authority to press a button, whether it's a dictator like Mr Putin or whether it's somebody who's democratically elected like Mr Biden, the end point is the same. And unless people like us are willing to stand up and say enough is enough, we are not going to be party of your little show, we don't believe your propaganda, we don't want to sacrifice ourselves for the 1% that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. We don't want to represent ourselves for some, sacrifice ourselves for some mythical god or gods. We don't want to sacrifice ourselves, you know, for some ruler who knows nothing about what's happening in the world around them. We've been through this before. We went through this in world, during World War One. We went through this in World War Two. But the difference in World War Three is the power of the armaments which are available to nation states to carry out mass slaughter which was inimaginable, unimaginable 50 years ago. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. No, I don't want you to get any... Look... You can do two things. You can be resigned to the fact, and resignation is a big issue in this country. We seem to be resigned to anything that our governments want us to believe in or do, or you can fight back. Resignation only leads to extinction. The fact is, human beings are capable of changing directions for governments because ultimately in a democratic society even in a representative democratic society power ultimately rests in the hands of the people not the state not the bureaucracy 
not the government of the day, not the 1% that own the means of production, distribution and exchange, but in the hands of the people. Now, if you're interested in um, successful struggles against the madness of war, the madness of sacrificing yourself for God, king and country, the madness of workers at either end of a bane at killing themselves for the glory of God, king and country, then I encourage you to come along to the presentation I'll be doing on um, Wednesday the 19th of April. And if you're in Melbourne, it'll be at the Footscray Hotel, which is at 54 Hopkins Street, Footscray. At, uh, 7 o'clock, I'll start the presentation, but we gather around, start gathering around 6.30pm for a drink. And uh, obviously you're welcome to come along and listen because I'll be looking at the history of the anti-conscription movement in World War One. Anti-conscription movement in World War One, I hear you saying, with Anzac Day around the corner on the 25th of April. Don't we celebrate the glorious losses? Well, I'm afraid there was a very strong, viable anti-conscription movement in this country during World War One, which succeeded in stopping the government from introducing conscription in this country so that another 60,000 young Australian men wouldn't be sacrificed on the European killing fields for the glory of God, king and country. So if you're interested in the history, you're interested in the struggle, the people who were jailed, the people who were humiliated, the people who were deported, the laws that were introduced, the plebiscites which were held, well, I encourage you to come along. If you can't come along, and obviously you can't come along from all over Australia, there wouldn't be any room, obviously, the presentation will be videoed and that will be available hopefully by the end of the month. Maybe it'd be a good uh, Anzac Day present for the, for the world. So, think about it. Forget about the sideshows. It's the main game that counts. There's lots of sideshows. They occur constantly, whether what's occurring in the USA today about some failed former president or what's happening in your local street or what crap is on social media, you know, or, or your television or your radio. The fact is most of life, especially in this country, centres around sideshows, whether it's sport, whether it's betting, whether it's television, whether it's social media, whether it's conversation. It's about the sideshow. Very few people are interested or know about or want to know about the main game. And obviously the main game is survival, egalitarianism. Not the egalitarianism we hear preached, but a, a real egalitarianism which is based on access to common resources, access to decision-making power. Not about just casting a ballot every three to four years to elect a representative to make decisions for you for the next three to four years, which we see ad nauseum but decision-making power at local, regional, national level. It's a different way of living. It's marching to a different drum. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, 
broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Toscano. Um, I'm the host of this particular program. Uh, you can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, there's a few sites you can go to if you wish. You know, if you want to go to them, fine. If you don't want to go to them, that's fine. Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests, webpage, Join Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. Isn't it about time we put the interests of the many before the interests of the few? What I find quite extraordinary is the lack of interest in this concept. As long as people get paid, they seem to be happy. Although, when inflation increases and housing prices become an issue and companies collapse, it becomes an issue when people start thinking about the main game, not the sideshow. There's nothing like a little bit of pressure to get people to focus on the main game, especially when that pressure is uh, exerted on them and their family. Now, talking about the main game, everybody's talking about housing. Now, housing in an anarchist society is a right. Housing in a private investment for private profit society is a luxury. The more disposable income you've got, the more access to housing you've got. And currently, in this country, we are seeing the consequences of policies which I'll outline which have made housing a significant issue. One, escalating prices of housing. People have, having to find a million dollars to buy a piece of shit within 15 to 20 kilometres of the GPO, not that there are any of them left that are in public hands, of the GP, you know, the GPO. A million dollars for a three-bedroom piece of shit. I'll give you an example. Now, in 1982, I was fortunate enough to get the bank to lend me some money to buy a house in Richmond. Just a single-fronted little cottage. 42500 was the going price, okay? In 2000, I think 19 or 2020, that same house, which, you know, I'd sold 30, 30, 40 years previously, that same house, no renovations, sitting on the bloody ground, didn't, wasn't even on stumps, on a minuscule block in Richmond, Melbourne, sold for $1.2 million. Now, wages may have escalated sevenfold since 1982, but, but housing prices have escalated 40-fold. And this has occurred for a variety of reasons, and obviously it, it you know, spills over to the rental market, and we'll talk about that in a second. One, 
housing became a commodity. The, the purchase of homes for residential use, domestic residential use, was opened up to the world. And what we saw is investors coming into this country and using housing as an invest and even and local investors, you know, who got negative negative gearing credits from the federal government, using local housing has a mechanism via which to make extraordinary profits. And those and they kept pushing up housing. At the same time, we had governments at the state level, especially in Victoria and to a lesser degree in New South Wales and to a lesser degree in the other states, privatise, begin a journey of privatising the public housing stock. At the same time, as when residential housing became an investment proposition, we saw that investors dealt, maximised their profits by increasing rents. Over the last 12 months, in the major capital cities in this country, rents have increased by 21%. Look, I don't make this shit up. It's there. Statistics. Records. At the same time, we see public land especially again in Victoria and to a lesser degree in New South Wales and the other states, being privatised. Parcels of public land in major urban centres, regional centres, privatised. And we see the domination of so-called public-private partnerships where public land on which there is older public housing stock is raised, the stock is raised to the ground and people are displaced and in certain cases become homeless and don't even have a right of return once that area is redeveloped because only 10% will be in public hands and that 10% will disappear within a 30-year period. So we've seen wholesale privatisation of the housing sector. So there is no competition. It's a little bit like buying petrol. If you're still buying petrol or gas, you can travel for kilometres and you'll see the same price or one cent variation in the price. And it's the same with the housing market. As interest rates went up, what did people who own homes as an investment who actually pay no tax because of negative gearing, actually get a tax deduction, what did they do? Did they cover their losses? No. They increased rents. So for the 40% of Australians who rent, it is a particularly difficult time. So what's the solution? Well, there are very simple solutions, but it takes political will. Political will we as a society do not seem to have. We keep looking for private um, solutions. 
to community problems. And there are no private solutions to community problems, as we've seen with the aged care sector, early childhood development sector, healthcare sector, the list goes on and on. At the same time as the public housing sector has been privatised, we see a change in the language. We see terms like social housing, affordable housing, inclusive housing, another 50 other terms, you know, to, do, to describe private organisations which are given government money to manage and own publicly public housing, especially once again in Victoria, which is the epicentre of this privatisation blitz. Now, faced with the choice of re-electing Mr Andrews' government or re-electing the other mob, obviously most Victorians said, well, the other mob's not worth even considering. But this particular government, that state government in Victoria, is addicted to privatisation because they're using their privatisation agenda to try to balance the books as they embark on this gold-plated building boom which has to be paid for. No wonder Mr Andrews went to China to try to get more students to come in. Because what we've got in this country, and housing highlights this, is Ponzi economics. I call it Australian Ponzi economic dreaming. The only way that this country seems to be able to survive is to continue to grow. Because when more people come in, you need more houses, you keep construction. But as soon as that growth spurt decreases, then you have bankruptcy. Then you have real issues. Every Ponzi scheme comes to an end. There is a period when the early investors get great returns and that encourages other people to invest. But this Australian Ponzi economic dreaming is total garbage. It will lead, and it is leading, towards major housing and economic issues. Because what happens with this growth for growth sakes economy, economic uh, thrust, what happens is that the problems which it creates continue to grow and fester. That's why there never seems to be any solution that can deal with homelessness. There's never any solution which can deal with the problems faced by the one-third of Australians who rely on Social Security benefits to survive, and that in the majority of cases is less than $500 a week. There never appears to be any solutions to the renting crisis, or the increase in housing crisis, or the inability of young people to get into the housing market. So how do you solve this? Do you solve this by privatising public housing? Obviously you don't solve it by privatising public housing. That's pouring gasoline on the fire, pouring petrol on the fire. You solve it by increasing the public housing stock. And then we're told, oh, oh, 
there's not enough money. We can't do it. It's terrible. It'll take 10 years even if we do it. Well, in the 80s and 90s, there was a, a successful spot purchasing program around Victoria to actually purchase properties in suburbs for people who needed public housing, not st stack them all up in some, you know, godforsaken tower. So there are issues. And how do you resolve the issue? Well, if you can find 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 billion dollars to build a tunnel and some gold-plated uh, railway crossing removals, well, I'm sure we can find the money for public housing. And it's a win-win situation. What we have been suggesting in public housing, everybody's business, and defend and extend public housing for over a decade now, that every cent that is collected from the tax which is levied on people when they buy a home, and it's a, you know, their duty, how, the duty which is levied, and it can range anywhere between 30 to 80 to 90,000 for a, you know, a house which is an average house. Every cent collected should be used for public housing. So why use it for public housing? Because public housing should not just be for people who are in dire emergencies. Public housing should be for everybody in this country who is never able to afford to enter the private rental, sorry, never able to buy a house because of the low wages they receive or because of the situation they find themselves in, whether they're elderly, whether they're single parents, whether they have health, health issues. The fact is that a strong public housing sector is a win-win situation for everybody. If it means using the money that which is, comes from stamp duty on when you buy a home to build public housing, why not? I'll tell you why. This is what happens. When you've got a sector of the economy which is dominated by the private sector, and we see it, ever, we see it over and over again, whether it's energy, whether it's aged care, whether it's early childhood development, we see an escalation of costs because there's no competition. Yes, I'm going to use the C word, competition. So, what does increased public housing stock mean? One, simply, it puts a roof over people's heads, okay? Who are in desperate situations. And there are tens of thousands of people in desperate situations who've been waiting for decades to get into public housing. The beauty about public housing is rents are limited to 25% of income. It's not about market prices. It's about 25% of income. I'll give you an example regarding market prices. Of somebody I know, I was speaking to the day before yesterday, left some rental accommodation two weeks ago because the rent had increased from 350 to 450. It was put on the market at 550. That's market prices. That means markets are manipulated in order to increase returns to private investors and the managing agents who, who work for them. So what does increased public housing stock mean? One, it means people who are in desperate need get housed. Two, as more people enter into public housing, the need 
for private housing at the lower end of the market decreases. As that need decreases, what you see is rents decreasing because of competition between the public and private sector. That's what a mixed economy is. As rents decrease, investors leave the market. As investors leave the market, housing prices at the lower end of the market fall. As housing prices fall, people on lower incomes who want to own a home and pay off a mortgage are able to enter the marketplace. Simple. Socially and community-wise, there are many benefits. By having people in stable housing where they don't have to move every year because of you know rental pressures, what it means is they can form links in that local community, their kids can go to the same school, they can go to the same sporting clubs over, ge- over a generation. And what you see is more social cohesion and less violence. Just not, not, not just violence on the streets, but violence in home settings because of the economic pressures on people. At the same time, there's a decrease in crime. And a decrease on, on demands on a public health system which is overwhelmed by that demand currently. So it's a win, 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 win situation. Obviously, governments who've moved on an ideological whim to privatise public housing have no interest whatsoever, nil, zilch, Rien, in using stamp duty revenue on the sale of homes to build the public housing system. They're more interested in wasting money providing guarantees for private corporations or private firms, some religious based, some not religious based, to get into the community, social, affordable, including housing market. And the other thing that having a strong public housing sector does, which has rents limited to 25% of income, is that there is increased money available in the economy. So it actually helps the capitalist economy. Because people have got more disposable income. Because currently some people are paying 30, 40, 50% of their income, to 60 in some cases, of their income to keep a roof over their heads. So it's a no-brainer. So why is this litany of legislation which has been passed, which is trying to extinguish the public housing sector, why is Mr Albanese the Prime Minister of this country, who, you know, used the fact that he was brought up in public housing by a single mother as part of his election, you know, campaign, now turned his back on public housing. 
totally. The so-called $10 billion fund which they're trying to create for housing is for affordable, social, community-inclusive housing. It's not about public housing. There are very few people in this country actually campaigning or pushing for public housing. Unfortunately, all the church groups, all the social groups that were involved in providing housing have now jumped on the affordable, community, inclusive, you know, housing bandwagon. There's a lot of government money to be had. It's a great way of increasing the power of your particular organisation and increasing the wages of your, you know, your workers and your CEOs in that organisation. So if you're interested in public housing, I encourage you to set up groups where you live and get involved in political action. If it's just demanding a chat with your local member, and if enough local members at the state and federal level find they're having chats about public housing, it does change the mindset. If nobody talks about public housing, it doesn't change the mindset. Secondly, get involved in protest activity like we do here in Melbourne. Every week we have a vigil on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House. Now this is the eighth year. It's interesting that before the previous state election, we had a 10-day protest on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House where we camped out 10 days before the state election because we knew that the government didn't want, you know, coppers coming in and, you know, pushing people off. It was, you know, that was our tactic. And we put so much pressure, and I actually stood against the housing minister in the seat of uh, Albert Park, we put so much pressure on the government of the day that they promised publicly, publicly, to create a thousand new public homes and the key word was a thousand new public homes have they done anything about the promise no and if they tell you they they've honored their promise by actually uh, using uh, the redevelopments in public private partnerships as part of that that's a lot of garbage so what i'm saying to you is it's there now if you are in melbourne We've changed the visual times a little bit because of uh, requests, and we'll see whether it works or not. We'll give it a month or two. Now, normally we used to s- stand do the visual from midday to 1pm on a Thursday, but from April, which is now, the first Wednesday and the last Wednesday of the month, the visual will be from 6pm to 7pm. That's 6pm to 7pm, and that is to give people who work, who are wage slaves, an opportunity to attend the vigils. Hopefully that will bring in fresh blood. On the other days, the second and third Thursday, we will continue to do the vigil at midday on the second and third Thursday of the month. If it all looks too complex, go to the Facebook page, Public Housing Everybody's Business, or Defend and Extend Public Housing, or go to my Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, and the, and the times, dates are all there. So hopefully, we hope to see you. But more importantly, if you're listening to this program in Ballina or uh, Coffs Harbour or Alice Springs, unless there is a push from people for an increase in public housing, there will be no increase in public housing. And for 
up to now, they've been able to, you know, been able to confuse people by the terminology. And you'll notice the terminology now is about social housing, inclusive housing, affordable housing, community housing. These are all terms which are used to describe the new privatised housing um, so-called solutions to the current rental, mortgage, housing crisis. Listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano. Agribusiness and the National Party. Those of you who go to the YouTube channel, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, uh, this week I'll be, I think I'll be talking about agribusiness and the National Party, a 200-year cycle. Now, for a long time, agriculture, grazing in regional and rural areas has been represented, was represented by the country, country party. Now, about 20 years ago, the country party changed its name to the National Party. It could have even been 30 years ago. And they continue to hold a number of seats in regional and rural Australia in the federal parliament. And it's quite interesting to see how agriculture has changed. And to a significant degree, we've seen with demutualisation and the destruction of uh, farm-based cooperatives which had a a base price for rural products. We've seen the so-called opening up of the agricultural and rural marketplace. We've seen the privatisation of water. We've seen the destruction of many, many, many small farms. We've seen the growth of agribusiness in the machinery sector. And we've seen the National Party continue to claim they represent the rural and regional sector. It's a total lie. They're the party of agribusiness. They're the party of corporate business. Because agriculture and grazing in this country is becoming the plaything of fewer and fewer owners. And that means an increase in reliance on salaried staff to run corporations which are involved in the agricultural and grazing sector. And people in regional and rural Australia are beginning to wake up to the fact the National Party has nothing to do with their interests. It's not about promoting their interests. They've been able to divide people, as we saw with the National Party, when they said, oh, well, we're going to be against this uh, referendum, you know, to have a voice to Parliament for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders. As if pandering, they believe pandering to people's, um, you know, peccadilloes is somehow 
going to change things. I think if they pan to the lowest common denominator, they'll be able to continue to hold these seats. But the reality is, agriculture and life of regional Australia is changing. And if we want things to change, we need, people need to stop thinking of the National Party as the party that represents their interests. And we are seeing new parties being formed, shooters, farmers, whatever, and a few other smaller groups. But the important thing is that we need parties that just don't look at, you know, cultural and social issues and think they can, you know, uh, be re-elected by pandering to people's prejudices regarding cultural and social issues. But they need to start looking at parties which actually look at the way things are organised and how things can change because we will see more and more and more independent small farmers and graziers being forced out of the marketplace. And that has been the history of rural and regional Australia since the National Party um, was created. Listen to the Anarchist World this week. Broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. Now, look, I've never used TikTok. Yeah. But I find it strange. Don't you find it strange? The Victorian state government and the federal government have banned their uh, people, who are the public servant who've got state or federal phones from accessing TikTok because they're worried about secrets being filtered to the Chinese Communist Party, TikTok. Well, I've got worries too. It's not just about the Chinese Communist Party. I'm worried about all that personal information which is collected by private corporations, some of them, most of them, too big to fail, which they then use to advertise shit and get people to pay for it. I mean, all these corporations use personal information. It's your information which is their lifeblood. That's what they rely on, your information. Without your information, they're nothing. They can't get any bucks without all that information about what you're interested in. It's that simple. So let's ban them all, eh? Let's ban Google, Facebook. Let's ban them all. I mean, it's ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. What do you think? The Chinese Communist Party is going to see what little Harry down the road doing a little bit of, you know, playing with his guitar? That's going to be of any interest? Yeah. Well, that's the nature of the society we find ourselves in today. You know, everybody says, wow. Wow, let's do it. Extraordinary, just extraordinary shit that we have to put up with every day of our lives. Fox News. Now remember Fox News, that wonderful, wonderful Murdoch invention, Fox News? Wonderful, wonderful invention. Well, they've got a bit of problem in the US of A, you see. They upset some people during the last presidential election they upset the 
Dominion voting system and the Smartmatic voting system, which are corporations, because they put out a lot of stuff claiming that these organisations were somehow crooked. You couldn't trust them. And guess what? They are now facing some defamation suits. $1.6 billion from Dominion Voting System and $2.6 billion from defamation claim from Smartmatic. Now, look, I don't particularly care one way or another how it goes, but I think it's interesting that we are now seeing large businesses fighting back through the US courts regarding the outright lies and disinformation, not misinformation, and disinformation, which has been part and parcel of the Fox News business model for years, if not decades. Because once it began to tarnish their credibility and once it began to affect competitors' bottom line, they decide to move forward. So it'll be interesting to see what actually happens in this particular situation. Because it's one thing to it's one thing to put out disinformation, misinformation. It's another thing to actually be held accountable for it. Now, look, obviously, if I told you a heap of lies, I'm sure I'd be held accountable. All right, you listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. I've been hosting this today's program. Go to some of the websites, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, pipsy.net, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest, YouTube channel, Facebook page, Defend and Extend Public Housing, Public Housing Everybody's Business. You can leave pleasant messages, only respond to pleasant messages, on 0439 395 489. And you can always write. I do have two or three people who write to me every week. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Most people don't write anymore, but help. Australia Post, put a stamp on a letter and send it to Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Thank you for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. We look forward to broadcasting to you next week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Blood destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds
3CR subscriber? We really need our listeners to subscribe to the station. It helps us remain financially independent and is an important part of our community governance. It's just $40 concession, $80 waged, $150 for a band or organisation and $300 solidarity. Become a 3CR subscriber today. 3CR Radical Radio. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.